Well, hi. I'm not Barb. <clears throat> Barb's a lot prettier than I am. I was waiting for the amen, David. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> you know, when you have to ask for it, it just doesn't have the same flavor. That's all I'm seeing there. Well, it is so good to be with you. And happy Easter. Christ is risen, is risen indeed. But let's not get ahead of the story. We need to hear the story. Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verses 25 and forward. As you know, I like to read the longer passages just to kind of make sure we hear scripture. Hearing, I still think, is about the best way. Anyway, Mark chapter 15. I'm here, I look down and went, no, that's not right. Here we are, 15, starting at verse 25. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels. Uh, didn't, and I'm, I wanted to make sure I was up here. We're good here? All right. I hear fine. Thank you. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross, save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem, and they were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. And so as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he had, when he found out it was so, he gave the body to Joseph, and Joseph brought some linen, took down the body, wrapped it in a linen, placed it in a tomb, cut out a rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And that's where the story ends. Or at least that's, that's been human experience since the beginning of time. And we, we, we sit and we listen and we marvel at the evil of the men who condemned Jesus, who beat Jesus, who nailed him to the cross. They were the, as if he was the lowest form of criminal instead of the son of God. We take some comfort in the faith of the women 
the women at the foot of the cross, but also that other number they said that had come with them. I read a tweet from a friend of mine that said, if we really did sunrise services the biblical way, the women would go worship and then come back and tell the men that Jesus was risen. And then the men would disbelieve them. Pretty much true. A little close to the bone, but true. We marvel at John's faithfulness, at Joseph of Arimathea taking the risk. It was a bold thing to ask to bury a body of a criminal. But we're still left with a cold body wrapped in claws and herbs and lying on a shelf in a cold cave. We're left with the rock slammed into position, sealed by a Roman governor and guarded by armed men in the middle of the night. We're left in the cold and the dark with a huge void in our lives. We're, we're left with the death of a friend, of a God, and of all the dreams that the people had. We, we know about death. We buy insurance so that our passing is not more painful than it has to be to those who love us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's given to man once to die and after that the judgment. And that's what we have, we've always expected. We're even told, you know, you got to die because you sinned. We get that. There's a price to be paid for sinning. Sinning is releasing evil out into the universe. And once released, we cannot call it back. We have no ability to bring it back. We can't make it right. Every person before Jesus who died stayed dead. And we noticed the pattern. Except for a few interesting exceptions. But those exceptions died again later. Except for two. Enoch and Elijah seem to have caught a ride out of here. And that always, I was always hoping, you know, we're told, Lord, things come in threes. You know, I'll, I'll go that way. But I, I'm, I'm, I had a feeling I'm not going to make that, that cut. But as these people are all around, something new is going to happen. And nobody standing around a sealed and locked cave knows what's going to happen. Not a one of them. A new reality is on the way. Uh, the world will never be the same. But they don't know that. The new world is going to come to these disciples, to the women at the feet of the cross, even to the men that beat Jesus and those that were crucified with him. Massive exception. A massive exception. You see, there are, sometimes we call that in science a singularity. This is a massive exception to everything else we know. It could be a big bang. It could be whatever. But what, something which happened has caused ripples in the waves ever since. You know, we can, we can see a lot of dead messiahs if we look in history. We really can. History is littered with them. And littered with people who thought they were even above God or thought they were God. And yet, they didn't leave any ripples. It didn't last. If you're in the middle of a lake and all of us just in a wee rowboat there and you're just, um, you're fishing and all of a sudden a six or ten foot wave comes along, it, how? How did that happen? And you can theorize, you can talk about maybe an earthquake under the, you know, something like that. Maybe a passing ship, a freighter that we didn't see. But there has to be a reason for this. And there has to be a reason that 2,000 years later, we're, we're not stuck at the grave. And that something is still moving forward. But there is waiting. I, don't, don't make people out to be cartoons. There, 
The people standing around here are not shaking their fist at the Romans and the leaders of their day saying, you just wait, this isn't over. To them, it was over. Unexpectedly so. In fact, when it shows us the believers, they're slipping away quietly, making their escape along little traveled pathways in the early light of dawn, huddling in locked rooms, trying to stay anonymous and hidden, even when others are sure they recognize them. They deny and run. They were scared. They were confused. They were in grief, not only at the death of their friend, but at the death of their movement, their dreams, the death of their certainty. Most people can survive a physical death of a friend, but the death of dreams and the death of certainty, that's harder. They would have wondered, was he really the Christ? Could we have been that fooled? How, how have we gotten this so wrong? I can only imagine the hushed, whispered arguments among them, not wanting to be overheard by those just on the street, but trying to process this loss. Others would have just huddled in the dark and cried. They didn't have words. And, and who could blame them? Was it, you know, they'd left everything for Jesus. Everything. Put all their chips on one spin of the wheel. And they lost. People searched for a reason for this. I mean, this, there had to be a reason this occurred. And so, what, what, was, it, was it us? Was it our lack of faith? Did he decide to give up on it? Was, was it our silly arguments about who's above the other and who's in... Did he just give up? I think of Peter in particular. Jesus once asked his apostles if they would leave him. Peter said, where'd we go? I call that the Mrs. Noah defense. Because I don't think the ark was a pleasant place. And I imagine after a while she wanted to leave. But where are you going? It's um, with Jesus, sometimes we hold on to him, not out of love and complete devotion and faith, but because it's the only story that works and gives us hope. What happens when that, you lose the grip? Peter found out that the question was not a rhetorical one. It was a double-edged with sharp reality, and he turned and ran. I would hope that some of them kept their faith alive believing this could not be the end of the story. But I'm going to freely admit to you, I would not have been among their number. I would have seen it, I would have felt it, and I had gone, I bet wrong. I don't know how, but I bet wrong. I would have believed my eyes and disbelieved the words and tried to move on. Faith is not hard for most of us this morning. It just isn't. I've, I've long said that if you can't be a Christian in America in modern times, you can't be one. You have more freedom. You have more ability to speak about it. You have, now, and again, people will yell, we're being persecuted. I don't feel persecuted just because a politician does something or because a culture takes a swing. That's not persecution. As Paul would put it, you've not yet resisted unto blood. Faith is not that hard. We know, as Paul Harvey said long ago, ask your grandparents, the rest of the story. And that's one of the things that bothers me about stories. I love stories. My wife will tell you that stories are what I do read, think. Even when I'm doing science, reading science, I want to tell a story about how this works. 
stories are, the, to me, the second most powerful force in the universe. But one problem with stories is once you know them, you tend to skip to the end and lose the power in the middle. You lose the struggle there, the waiting time. We have Good Friday, we have Easter Sunday. There's something in the middle there. Some denominations, uh, Christian tribes, have names for it. Most of us don't. We just wait it out. Maybe that's what we're supposed to do. I don't know. Some of them, I hope, kept their eyes on Jesus, surrendering to God and taking their eyes off their own circumstance and pain. They would have been real heroes. But you know something? I've met a lot of heroes. I've worked with a lot of heroes. And there's one thing every hero has in common. They don't feel heroic. I've never met anybody, let's say under the staff level, uh, the level of staff officers. Officers like to sling medals on each other. I've never met, let's put it this way, an enlisted individual who got a medal who felt they deserved it. Not a one. The question before them will come to each of us one day, even if it hasn't come already one time or a thousand times. Will we trust God when the evidence seems to point in another direction. No, I'm not asking you to believe against evidence. I'm not asking you to do that. The Bible says faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. As a scientist, I'm not going to tell you just to believe because somebody told you to. I think there are evidences there. What I'm talking about is when you look and there's a death in your life, when there's an un cured disease in your life, when there's a job loss in your life, when there's a disruption, when you're a believer in Ukraine, what do you do with your faith then? Jesus is the enormous exception in history. All have sinned except for him. All who died stayed dead except for Enoch and Elijah. But when Enoch and Elijah left, they didn't come back. Jesus died showed back up many witnesses and caused this big wave that's still rolling. And then he left and said he's coming back again. Each of us, when we look at this story, need to remember the story for the time, not, not the end of the story, but this part of the story. Because sometimes you get stuck on Saturday. I have. I certainly have gotten stuck on Saturday. God's very patient. He is, he's allowed me to survive being stuck. He doesn't, he doesn't look down on you for being stuck. But then I want to read this. You see, everybody thought he was done. Everybody, the chief priests thought they had won. The Romans didn't even really notice. That was just another crucifixion to them. His followers were devastated. The mobs in the street were exalting that mob rule had won. What they didn't know is that Jesus was only counting to three. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. 
Its tail swept a third of the stars out the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. But she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. You can make all the plans you want. God's not done. God just might be counting to three. Jesus had already told us that, but we don't get it because it hadn't happened before. You know, it's kind of like attending a lecture you don't understand. That happens. Uh, and, and if you're thinking, oh, Patrick knows it. No, uh, I'll give you an example. There's John, John Polkinghorne was one of the greatest physicists of the last century. And I've never understood 10 minutes of anything he's ever said. And I remember I got so excited when I saw on Amazon a tiny book. I think it was 60 pages, and it was a tiny format book. A Brief Introduction to Quantum Physics. And I thought, fantastic. I'll be able to get this and help my wife understand why I get excited about stuff. I made it to page three. <laughs> brief Introduction. The only thing it didn't supply was crayons. And I, I was thinking, all right, I don't get this, so I can't explain this to Cammy. And put it away. He told him, you tear this temple down, I'll build it back in three days. They didn't know what that meant. So, he counted to three and stood back up. And when he came back, he found followers that had once bragged of their courage and their faith now cowering in locked rooms. He saw faces stained and swollen with tears, foreheads creased and angry frowns. In Luke 18, 80, he'd ask, he said, when I come back, will I find faith on earth? And I think even today, most people, when they read that passage, think about his coming at the end of time. It could have been he was talking about this. I come back, is there going to be faith? So we failed him. What, what's God going to do? What's the reaction of God when you fail him? Well, Jesus is absolute, which means whatever he says, that's absolutely true. And it is, if he says God is love, that's absolute as well. His character, his attitude, his reactions, all of that will not change, even when we let him down. Our actions, our emotions, our faith, our lack of it, our anger, our joy does not affect the character of God. God has already decided to save you. He is who he is. He is love. That's who he is. That's what he is. He will be forever. There's no better news than that. No better news. He spoke softly and gently with the men with devastated hearts that were walking on the road to Emmaus. He spoke with love and tenderness to the women crying at the tomb. He told the disciples hiding behind a locked door, they could open the door. And there was nothing to worry about now. He even showed them, we can't stop you now. Fear was no longer a part of the equation. Neither was death. So is death an absolute? You'll, you'll hear people say the only thing sure in life are death and taxes. I don't know. I know the death's not an absolute, not anymore. Jesus is the absolute. So, yeah, the bodies will drop down. And, and frankly, there may come a time when you're tired of it anyway. And it won't be that big a loss. I have a 90-year-old mom. And 
she talks about, well, I want to keep active. I want to keep, and she'll say, I know God only said he'll give us three score and 10. So I'm on borrowed time. But if he's still lending, I'm still borrowing. <laughs> but at the same time, we've had some talks recently about what happens after. She's ready. And there'll come a time where she'll just say, I'm done with this. Now, I'm, my body is still working, but my attitude has always been that. I wake up in the morning thinking, this is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to a human being. Waking up. <laughs> and I'll look at God and say, all right, I'm still on this side of the dirt. Okay, fair enough. I guess I got to move. So one day death may be a relief. It may be a shock. It may be a pain. It may shatter us. But the fact is, it isn't permanent anymore. Our God is who he says he is. He is the unchangeable one, and he has said, no, no, I got you. I shared with a few of my friends the two-minute clip that you can find on YouTube or uh, Twitter if you look for it by my fellow Scott, Alistair Begg. Just two minutes. And he asked his congregation, are you going to heaven if yes, why? And then he warns them, if you started that sentence with anything in the first person, I was baptized, I was. He says, you've got it wrong. You got it wrong. And then he does a little bit. I won't copy him because it's his, but I want you to go find it. Where an angel has to deal with the thief on the cross. So how'd you get here? Were you, were you uh, baptized? Were you a follower of Jesus? Were you... No, no. Were you a good person? No, at all. Were, were you, did you at least obey the law? No. And he even gets a supervisor. The angel's just trying to figure out how this guy make it. And so they're even saying, well, are you clear on the justification by faith doctrine? Or how do you feel about scripture? And finally, the angels get frustrated and they look at him and they said, how did you get here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said I could. We hear weather reports and we adjust our plans accordingly. We hear traffic reports and we adjust our path. We should also make some serious adjustments in our lives when we confront an absolute fact. Jesus loves us and has removed death and fear from the equation. Live accordingly. We're about to take communion. Now, those of you, a lot of our folks stayed home. Others are on the road just to make sure we had room. We have some visitors here. If you didn't get communion, it's on the side there. There's a table right back there with some more. And you're, we're okay moving around. This is a family room. This is why children are welcome to worship. Uh, the old people are welcome to worship. We all, we all move about here. So that's all right. But if you didn't get this, I want to give you some time. As we take the bread and cup, remember this. Your body may die one day, but you will not be dead. You will be alive a trillion years from right now. You, your personality, not absorbed into the great Borg somewhere. You will be alive a trillion years from now. You'll not be separated from God because he said so. He said you could come. You will go from this to better, never to worse, because God is God. And God has promised. Before we take, those of you who are willing and those of you who agree with the Apostles' Creed, I invite you to repeat that with me. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we take this bread, knowing the body of Christ suffered much, but he has now given us salvation, and that we now are the body of Christ. We take this with all believers all over the world, wherever they may be, and we reaffirm our loyalty to the risen Lord. Thank you for the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we all say, amen. Would you pray with me again? Father, this cup always reminds us that while salvation, grace, and love is free, it was not free to you. We thank you for going beyond the extra mile and giving us everything you had so that we could never question how much you're willing to give, how much you're willing to do to redeem us and bring us home. We thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for salvation and we thank you for your love. In the name of Jesus, and we all say, Amen. Misha, if you could bring the team back up. Live a life that says you no longer believe in this world. Instead, you believe in the one who made it. Never believe in the one who will never change, never forsake you, never walk away from us. And live a life that looks to heaven and believes regardless of whatever evidence to the contrary the world likes to throw at you. Because I have good news on this Easter Sunday. The grave is open. Christ is risen. Death is optional. Eternity is not. Live accordingly. <laughs>